Welcome back to Table Radio. We're catching up on a backlog of sermons, and this one was preached by Andy Withrow on Sunday, May 14th of this year. Enjoy! Tonight, we're going to explore water. Okay? Water. And I'm going to start with a personal embarrassing story. I know that's what the people want, but it happened when I was 10, so it's a long time ago, boo, still good. Uh, my mom, being the good mother, she was signed me up for swim lessons because every little boy and girl needs to learn how to swim. It's an essential life skill, or you could drown and die, okay? So as a kid, when I was a kid, I failed, I failed YMCA's minnows class. It's like the baseline class. It's like if you can get in the water and get out of the water, you get to move on to sharks or whatever was next, whatever, right? But that was the whole point. I had, I hated getting into water. Still do. Still do. I don't really go swimming that much unless I have to. And when you have kids, sometimes you have to. But anyway, I hated it. I hated getting in the water. I loved drinking water, cold water on a hot day. No problem, right? We were back in the days of school, you know, when you didn't bring your water bottles to school, you just had the one, school, the one water fountain, and there was like a line of like 30 kids, and to pass the time, you'd say things like, save some for the fish, right? You're really funny. And uh, you were, you know, I was a germaphobe, so I hate it when people put their whole mouth on the thing and wipe it off and stuff. Anyway, not important to the story. The point is, I had a love-hate relationship with water. And it turns out, as I, over the last few weeks, I've been exploring water in the Bible, this is completely normal. There's an ambiguous role of water in the Bible. Water provides life. It also brings death. It's all about the context. It can be one moment the thing that saves you in a desert place, and the next moment, too much of it can kill you. And it turns out everybody else, too. It's a chaotic, life-threatening force in some parts of the story, and it's a life saver in other parts of the story. And so tonight, we're going to focus on the story of water. How does the Bible unfold it from beginning to end? I'll be going quite fast because there's a lot of references to water, and I'm not going to do all of them. You're welcome. So, water starts out early. Josh bragged when he did uh, the one on trees that trees appear early in the Bible and they, they wrap up late. So it's kind of from cover to cover. But water has trees beat. Water shows up in the very first couple of verses of Genesis 1. And it's also featured in the very last chapter in Revelation 22 with the river of life. So from the very beginning... Genesis 1, creation from water. And in the Bible, seas, oceans, they stand, they symbolize chaos. Something that is beyond human control. Something that will overwhelm us and destroy us. It is not not a space that is friendly to life in any of its forms. It is a chaotic life threatening force. And out of this chaos in Genesis 1, through his words, God creates order. He pushes back 
the water, and he gives it boundaries so that the dry land can appear, so that there's this space, the water's above and the water's below, so there's this space for life, for us and for the rest of creation. So in Genesis 1, we get these boundaries. It's a representative part of what scientists sometimes call the fine-tuning of the cosmos, right? Conditions just right for life. And we move on into the story, and we get to the next chapter in Eden. And if you've taken my, um, uh, our origins course here at the table, you will no doubt remember, without any trouble recalling it, that Eden represents the space of four relationships in healthy and whole, in the right proportion to each other, what the Bible calls righteousness. Whole and healthy relationships, and that's our relationship with God, with one another, with ourselves, and Savannah, and, yeah, all of creation. All of creation is what she said. I know, she was not expecting that. Relationship with God, ourselves, sorry, our God, one another, ourselves, and all of creation. So Eden represents, in the very beginning of the story, all of this in balance, God's intention for humanity, the space of whole and healthy relationships. And out of this garden that we call Eden, or that the Bible calls Eden, do you remember that there's four rivers that come out of it? Four rivers in four directions, and it says they wound around and they watered all of the earth, all of creation. And it conveys this sense of the whole earth is in to be in this proper relationship as well, sustained by God's presence. And as we go through the story, we see that Eden, this space where we walk with God in the garden and chat with him and talk with him and share life with God, this is meant to be expanded to cover the whole earth But then something went wrong. Human rebellion spoiled the plan. And the story could have said all the rivers dried up. It doesn't at that point. But as we go through the story, we'll see that's essentially what happened. The life-giving presence of God is removed. Humans place themselves at the center. And the rivers do eventually dry up. And it becomes a problem. But... As the story progresses, what happens is that the flood comes. Because human rebellion becomes so bad, God allows the boundaries that he put on water to be pulled back, and the waters come up. It's chaos. It's an undoing of Genesis 1. It's uncreation. Just as humans transgress the boundaries in the garden, so God has allowed the waters to transgress their boundaries. And as he pulls back the boundaries of the waters, the waters cover more and more of the land, God therefore increases the boundaries upon humanity back and back and back to just one family. And it turns out, though it doesn't seem like it when we read the story. It turns out when we take a step back and look at the whole story that this is a way for God to actually protect the whole creation. Because as it turns out in the Bible, the fate of creation is always and forever will be bound up with the fate of humanity. That's the way God set it up. 
But as the waters dry up and the land becomes livable again, life after the flood becomes a life marked with the ebbs and flow of famine. The scarcity of water starts to prevail. And the mercy of God becomes more and more evident. As we see, water in the desert becomes a major theme early on in the story. As we see the patriarchs, the Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their families live in the land that's promised to them, they're living as nomads, shepherds, kind of traveling to and fro. And they live by a system of wells. You see this in Genesis. They live by a system of wells dug deep in the earth so that they can have water in the wilderness, water in an otherwise parched land. In fact, wars are waged between nations over access to these wells in the book of Genesis. The lack of water, combined with some severe famine towards the end of the book of Genesis, eventually leads God's chosen family down into Egypt and into slavery. But then God sends a deliverer who does powerful signs. And one of those powerful signs is that this deliverer, who turns out to be Moses, turns Egypt's life source, the Nile, their river of life, to blood, undrinkable. And eventually, as Egypt continues to ignore God's warning signs on their nation... Moses delivers God's people through the watery chaos. Remember Genesis 1 again of the Red Sea. A mighty power beyond the power of any human. But with God's presence, they walk through on dry land. And they get delivered and they sing a song about it. And then they realize they've been delivered into the desert. Into the wilderness. But again... In such a stark and barren background, God provides water from the most unlikely of places, even stone. It's walking through Death Valley and God providing life in an impossible places. And we get the sense as we go through the story over and over again, the secret to life in balance, water in proper proportion, not too much, chaos, not too little, water in proper proportion as life-giving source has everything to do with our relationship to and trust in God, in God's presence, the source of our life. Oh, Lord God, that you would give us water in its proper proportion, which is to say, give us life, which is to say, God, give us your very self, Regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in, be it flood, too much water, and chaos, and it's overwhelming us in our lives, or the desert where we can't seem to find life and meaning and significance and power and all the things we need, regardless of those circumstances, God, you have to provide a way for us. You have to provide the right amount of water. So I wonder, what are the deserts of your life that you have faced? And what are the floods, the chaotic, overwhelming moments where all was disoriented and out of control? 
Maybe one of those floods or deserts is happening right now in your life. How do you pray in such circumstances? How do you cry out to God? We see as we go through the story of the Bible, God's word written, we see the incredible mercy of God that despite our consistent, on-repeat human rebellion, putting ourselves at the center, he desires to still provide us with life. Psalmist sings of this in the very first psalm, Psalm 1, describing the ideal life as one who is like a strong, fruitful, and leafy tree planted with deep roots by streams of water, its life source. It allows for the tree to function properly, to be a blessing, and even to sustain others with its fruit. And the prophets pick up this theme as well. And I want to focus in on Ezekiel. And they promise that even though water in the desert, water is the exception, God providing in these unlikely ways has been the rule ever since Genesis 3 in our human rebellion, that there's this future on the horizon where God will make the waters abundant again. So Ezekiel has a vision of the temple. And he has a vision of rivers. He picks up on the promises of God to provide the very waters of life, not just our physical life, but our soul, our whole, our deep longings and needs. The waters of life in the midst of death in his vision of the temple. So Israel is in exile at this time, and they were without a temple. In Ezekiel, he does a callback to Eden. But instead of Eden being the source of the four rivers that water the whole earth, in Ezekiel's vision, it's the temple. And it has four rivers coming out in each direction to sustain the whole earth. The image is different. It shifts, but the meaning is the same. God is the life source. The presence of God brings life. There's no life apart from him at the center And he is providing that life source in the midst of the desert. In this case, for Israel, exile, disorientation, shame, embarrassment. Far from home and with life upside down. So perhaps then it's not a surprise that the forerunner to Jesus, the one who was to prepare his way, John, prepared for it by baptizing people with water. And then Jesus' own relationship with water, at least in part, reveals his identity, his divine identity. With the ultimate callback, trying to one-up Ezekiel, the callback to Genesis 1 at creation and again at the Exodus, Jesus reveals that he has power over the waves, not once, but twice. When he calms a raging storm with his words, the waves Die down, silent. The sea, that you remember, represents chaos and disorder. And he does it again when he casually walks on the water in the middle of the night 
and his disciples just happened to see him passing by. Now, to the careful reader of the story who's been paying attention to the water bit, we see that this is one who has authority over chaos, just like Genesis 1, the Lord over all creation. Now, perhaps all this talk of water culminates for Jesus in his conversation with the woman at the well in John 4. Jesus is having a conversation, somewhat scandalously, with a Samaritan woman alone at a well. And not just any well, but one of those I mentioned earlier. An ancient well that belonged to Jacob, one of the patriarchs who literally survived in the wilderness because of wells like this one. Now, it becomes a conversation centered around the true source of life. Where is the capital W well of life to be found that will sustain me in all my deepest needs and longings? The one that will fill up not only our physical thirst, which is just a taste of a much, much deeper thirst. Our spiritual thirst fills up our deeper longings and satisfies them in a way that no other water can. Now, Jesus makes the huge claim that it's none other than Him, right there, to this Samaritan woman. He says to her and to us, Come to me. Just come to me. When you think of it being hot out and you need some cold, refreshing water, it's an image of what I can do for you. All of your deep needs and longings fulfilled here. Jesus is the true well for our souls, the wholeness and fullness of our life, really. He's also the temple with water flowing from it. Hear this from John 7, on the last one I read earlier, the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stands and he says in a loud voice so everyone can hear him, who's at the party, with the temple at its center, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me as scripture, as God's written word has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. He's talking about the Spirit, the life-giving Spirit of God. So he's saying this at a feast, at a party in the middle of the temple. Again, we're reminded of Ezekiel's vision of the temple as the presence of God providing life-giving water to all of creation. Or of Eden in Genesis 2, the four rivers watering the whole earth. Jesus has made a way for us to be connected to this new well the source of life. Not so much that we die, not so little that we die, but the right amount. Now it says in John, this is a reference to the Spirit, God's Spirit that he would send after Jesus had been glorified. And at the end of his life, Jesus gave his followers instructions, and part of the instructions were to baptize all who would follow him. He wanted them to use water, by now hopefully no surprise to us, as a symbol of belonging to him and being connected to the true source of life. 
passing through these waters, like Israel passed through the Red Sea. Passing through these waters of baptism puts us into a whole new relationship with God, with ourselves, with one another, with the whole creation. We call this sacrament. It reorients our whole life. It represents God's protection from chaos, from the waters of chaos, and God's life-sustaining presence. And it represents a death to the self that needed and wanted to put ourselves in the center that dried up those rivers of life source and allow God to be back there again and for us to rise to new life in that reality. So if you desire access to this life-giving water, the path to it is very, very clear in the scriptures. Put your trust in Jesus. This posture reflected in our daily life will position us to receive the Spirit of God, which is his life-giving Spirit. One access point for us that the Bible has given us is our relationship to water, an access point to God, a powerful symbol, but more than that, something that actually transforms our relationship. We use water a lot, if you think about it. Quenching thirst, cooling off, washing ourselves, washing our spaces where we belong, And we can begin to see water as God taught us to see it in the Bible every time we use it. God, we give you thanks for what this water points to. Your life-giving spirit. Lord, would you help us use the water that you've given in your good creation transform the way that we see you and we see ourselves in our whole life. That it is truly you who quench our deepest longings, that wash us, that refresh us, and that reminds us of your kindness and your provision. We love you and thank you for this gift in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church, a community in Victoria, BC. Our mission together is to love God, to love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by Coco Relieve. To learn more, please go to tablechurch.ca.